Uh, kids, you're dismissed to your classes. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of John. The book of John, the fourth book in the New Testament. We're going to look this morning at John chapter 12. John chapter 12. As I have been um, seeking the Lord this year about what we should study for Christmas and how He might lead us a few weeks ago, He gave me, uh, well, He led me to a truth that um, is so familiar that it's really easy to take it for granted. And I don't mean that pejoratively, it's just a fact. It's so, we're so used to hearing it that it's easy for us to just kind of be nonchalant about it. And when we do that, we miss the really powerful implications of what has taken place in the history of mankind. Every year at Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. We've heard about it, we've studied it, the choir just sang about it, and we've been exposed to it so many times that while we still feel it in our hearts, and we know that it's true, and we're excited by it, the the reality of it really um, just kind of, it just kind of gets a little bit lost. What God has done, how God has done it, is, is so incredible and so powerful and so wonderful and yet as we come through another Christmas season and it's already the 8th and Christmas is in 17 days and then it's the new year and now it's snowing and we just kind of it's just another season right you don't have all your lights up on your house yet I know you don't because I don't either and we're trying to race around trying to get things done we've got the tea and and everything's kind of going on and kind of gearing toward Christmas but But what has impressed me over the last few weeks especially is not just what God has done. What has impressed me is how He's done it. And I want us to hear that fact this morning. I want us to to think through that like it's the first time we've ever heard it. Now, it's hard to do that when somebody says that. Well, think of it like it's the first time we've ever heard it. I know that's hard to do. But, But really try this morning... Pretend like you've never heard this before, like this is a a new fact to you. Because it is so amazing and so unfathomable and so unthinkable and so miraculous that God would do this, that if it was the first time we were hearing it, we would not do anything but be stunned and overwhelmed by it. So listen to this truth, because this is an awesome truth. It's familiar. You've heard it before. But, but hear it again. God Himself came down from heaven to live as one of us in order to rescue and redeem us from sin. God Himself came from heaven to earth. Now we know that's true, right? We celebrate that every year. And that's not a new thought to any or maybe all of us. It, it's It's just a fact that we hear, but I want you to just settle on it for a minute, that the God of the universe, the creator and Lord of all things, He who is master of everything, He is almighty, He who is over all things, came down to this little tiny planet for the express purpose of saving us from sin and the judgment that goes along with us. Now that transcends our thinking. We can't possibly get that in our limited understanding. We can't fathom just how amazing and and powerful that truth is. And part of that is because our 
our perception of things, our understanding of things is so finite. So many times we see, and we know it's a joke, and we know it's kind of uh, comical, but so many times we see heaven depicted as, you know, clouds, and God's this old man in a big white flowing robe, and he's got a big beard, and Peter's at the gate, and there are angels making jokes with each other, and, and you know, th- you get me, right? You've seen that before? So our understanding of heaven is kind of, even though we know that's wrong, it's influenced. We, when we think of heaven, we don't think of the scope of who God is and what He has done. So I did a little research this week because it's easy to forget the magnitude of God. There are about 8,500 stars that are visible to the earth at any time. On a clear night, like we're at a camp or something, when you really get away from the light pollution and you're able to see stars, you can only see about 2,500 stars in one spot at any given time. Okay, 2,500 stars. Just in our galaxy, the Milky Way, there are estimated to be 100 to 300 billion stars. So 2,500 we can see, 8,500 total that we can see, there are 100 to 300 billion stars just in our galaxy. The Milky Way is 100,000 light years wide. Now, just to get a, a, a sense of how big that is, a light year is 5.9 trillion miles wide. So just the Milky Way is 100,000 light years wide. That is 5.9 followed by 16 zeros, just our galaxy. And the Milky Way is only one of 10,000 galaxies that are visible, and estimates are that there are hundreds of billions of galaxies. And God created every one of them and knows every star by name. Hubble Telescope a few years ago identified a galaxy that scientists say is 13 billion light years away. Now that's an 8 followed by 23 zeros. So we're in this little planet, in this humongous galaxy, which is one of hundreds of billions of galaxies that are, uh, I don't even know what the term is called, I think it's like septillion miles away. And that's just the ones we can see. And God, who condescended and came to us and sent His Son to earth for us as Emmanuel God with us, He owns all of that real estate. He created all of that real estate with His hand, And he knows every bit of it. Now, when we think about heaven, we don't think that way because we can't comprehend it. The magnitude of God's creation is out of our understanding. But I want to use it now as a framework for the truth that God came down from heaven to earth. And over the next four weeks, this is going to be the focus of our study. Using the words of Jesus, who was God in flesh, Emmanuel. The incarnation of God himself into human form. And we're going to study over the next four weeks why Jesus came here. Why did Jesus come? This had to be intentional. This this could not be an accident. It flies in the face of the theory that that everything is kind of random and, and if God exists, come on, He can't be that big, that the universe is bigger than God and, and that God is either indifferent or maybe He's mean, but but there is no way that God cares. And there certainly is no way that God just happened upon this planet. 
if Jesus really came and God is really who he says he is, then Jesus coming here was no accident. He had a definitive purpose for coming. And we can't argue, well, we invited God to come. We really were we're looking for him because since the dawn of time, man has been denying the existence of God and trying to find any explanation for creation that excludes God. And we can't say that, that, that we craved his presence because man has always looked for an alternative to God. He's always looked for some kind of way to self-justify rather than being responsible to God. And we can't even say, well, okay, we didn't invite him and we didn't crave him, but we deserve him. We deserve for God's attention and God's grace because one glance around our culture will tell you that, that man is as depraved and as immoral as ever. So if Jesus really came, if this is the truth, and of course we're saying that it is, if Jesus really did come, he initiated it. And if he initiated it, he had a reason to do that. And one of the reasons of the four we're going to look at is here in John chapter 12. This is the final week of Jesus' life before the crucifixion. Right after he enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, the cheers of the crowd have kind of died down but the people are still talking about him. The text says that they're still going around testifying about him. And Jesus begins to teach, and in chapter 12, verse 28, which we won't read, in chapter 12, verse 28, there's a voice that comes from heaven that people perceive as thunder, where God the Father is glorified through Jesus. And then Jesus begins to talk about his death in five days. He starts to tell about what's going to happen. It's a little cryptic. People don't quite get it. He says, the Son of Man is going to be lifted up above the earth, speaking of his crucifixion. And the people are like, well, who is the Son of Man? What, what, what are you talking about, Jesus? We don't really get it. See, they still don't perceive, they still don't understand what he's talking about. But Jesus, many times throughout the Gospels, refers to himself as the Son of Man. So as he predicts this, after this thundering and this voice from heaven, and Jesus says the Son of Man is going to be lifted up, And the people say, who is that? At that point, Jesus says what he does in this passage this morning. Let's take it from verse 35. We're just going to concentrate this morning on a few verses. This will be a brief study today. So Jesus said to them, for a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke, and he went away and hid himself from them. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe, for Isaiah said again, he's blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart, and be converted, and I heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the approval of man rather than the approval of God. For Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. He who sees me sees the one who sent me. I have come as light into the world. So that anyone, excuse me, everyone who believes in me will not 
remain in darkness. Now there's a lot here. But I would just like for us to focus on one phrase this morning. And that's the phrase in verse 46. Where Jesus says, I have come as light into the world. So that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. Jesus is identifying a problem, a solution, and a result. The problem is that the world is in spiritual darkness and man is caught up in it. The solution is that he has come to be light in the darkness and the result is that anyone who puts their faith in him will not remain in spiritual darkness forever. Now let's take that apart for a few minutes because the first issue that he raises is that there is a problem of spiritual darkness that covers the earth and covers the heart of all people. Because of man's sin, because of man's rebellion against God, of which we are all equally guilty, there's nobody in this room that's more guilty of sin and more guilty of the penalty of death than me, and I'm not more guilty than you, and none of us is more... We are all equally guilty. And because of that, the Bible says the condition of mankind is complete darkness. There's no measure of holiness. There's no hope of salvation. There's no way to dig ourselves out. There's no way to do enough that God will be satisfied. We are completely hopeless and we're in darkness. Now, the devil lies about this. The devil tells us that man doesn't need God, that that we can be good on our own, that we don't have to have salvation. And even more twisted and more deceptive of that is he says, you can save yourself apart from God. But what the devil is lying about is that the facts are indisputable. The Bible says, without any equivocation, there is none righteous, no, not one. And no man that has ever lived apart from Jesus Christ has ever done anything to prove that statement wrong. There's not one person that we can look at in all of human history where we can say, well, look at them, Paul. If you say there is none righteous, no, not one, that's what the Bible says, That guy proves that wrong. No, every single person, man, woman, that has ever lived has proven that statement true. They've proven that the devil lies and they've proven that God is right. And that becomes even more and more convincing every day. And we don't even have to look at the most outlandish examples like like Hitler or human genocide to, to, to verify man's darkness. All we have to do is very simple. Just hold something like the Ten Commandments up to our culture And we'll understand how true this is. If we just take the Ten Commandments and say, all right, let's see if man is really righteous. If if there is any righteousness in our world this morning, because that would would excite us that, that man actually has some hope on his own. All right, let's just take five of the Ten Commandments. God says, you'll have no other gods before me. This is my rule. This is what I've established. This is what is right. Today, there are 21 major religions in the world. There are 4,200 total religions. And a billion people on the face of this planet don't believe in God at all. God says, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. But the phrase, oh my God, is probably more mainstream than any phrase in humanity right now. Don't you agree with that? Probably even more so than I love you, which we would say, well, I love you probably. No, of the three word phrases on the face of the earth. I think, oh my God, is more prevalent now than I love you. To the point that even many Christians don't see anything wrong with saying it. 
Society has cheapened the name of God down to the point that there's nothing holy in our sight about it. God says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, but we're a 24-7 world. No restraints, no limits, day and night. Life is busy. we got stuff going on. We've got technology. We've got everything. We're, we're so busy that we can't even take a day to set aside not just to rest. We think about Sabbath rest. He says set it aside to make sure your heart is holy. Set it aside to make sure you're doing a spiritual inventory so that you are sure that as you approach this next week, that your heart is right with the Lord, that you're walking in holiness. God says don't commit adultery. But infidelity, according to studies, has rapidly increased in the United States over the last 25 years. One in five men have admitted to an adulterous act at least one time in their life, and one in six women have done the same. Not to mention the teenagers and the singles who have sex outside of marriage, uh, not to mention the increase in homosexual relationships, all of which are adultery. We don't have to even debate whether it's right or wrong. It's adultery. And God says, don't covet. But come on, what a time of year to know that we covet, right? Oh, I want the latest thing. And look at that. That's on TV and I saw it. And so-and-so has that. I got to get that. That's so cool. Oh, I'll just put it on layaway and get it because I got to have it and I don't have it. And I... that's, that's become what Christmas is all about, right? not the angels and the shepherds and the baby and Emmanuel God with us. Now it's just all about the covenant. And covenant is not limited to Christmas. Covenant is all throughout the year. You don't believe me, just wait till iPhone 6 is released. So we just look at five. Just, we just took five of the Ten Commandments. And we look at that and we say, all right, when God says there is none righteous, no, not one, He is absolutely speaking the truth. He says in John 3.19, men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because we're all sinners. Because we have all craved that. We can't possibly satisfy God's perfection. And Romans 7.14 says that we're in bondage to sin. Without God intervening and Jesus coming down from heaven, we are all condemned. We are all captive. We are all held. We're all under the control and the penalty of sin. If God doesn't intervene, we have no hope. If God doesn't intervene, we have no hope. Maybe you're sitting there this morning and you have never trusted Christ as your Savior. And that's your condition this morning. Your condition is, I don't have hope, Paul. I'm sitting here and I'm hearing what you're saying and I recognize that, that maybe this Jesus thing is true, but I've never believed it. I've never trusted it. Listen, your condition is the exact same as my condition was in 1974 when finally it clicked and I said, I've got to give my life to Christ. And if you turn from your sin this morning and you confess Him, God will redeem you and He will change you and He will deliver you and He will pull you out of the bondage of sin and release you and free you forever. That is the gospel. That's the truth. And you need to trust it this morning. And maybe there's somebody here that hasn't. And if you haven't, I'd love to talk to you after the service. I'd love to explain that to you and let you know the hope that you can have. Now there are many of us, maybe all of us this morning, that have made that decision. And Romans 7 also addresses us. 
because it says if we don't fully turn from our sin, listen now, this is to the church, this is to believers, if we don't fully turn from sin and we allow it to have a place in our lives, then we put ourselves back into slavery to sin and put ourselves under bondage and darkness. And that damages our understanding. We can't discern in the same way. We can't hear from the Lord in the same way. Our wisdom becomes elusive and our heart gets soured toward the Lord and soured toward each other, especially other believers. We start to look at our family members and we resent them more than we resent those that don't love Christ. Because our heart is in the wrong place. And if you look back at verse 35, Jesus refers to this. He says to the crowd, you need to walk while you have light. In other words, there's going to be a point where the light's going to fade from history. There's going to be a point where the light is going to leave you. Specifically, he was speaking, I'm leaving soon. It's five days. They're going to put me on a cross. I'm going to die. I'm going to be in the ground for three days. And then three days, I'm going to raise from the dead. And I'm going to walk the earth for 40 days and minister to people and prove that I've defeated sin and death forever. And then I'm going to heaven. You need to understand that in the span of 45 days, I'm gone. Less than 50 days from now, I'll be gone. The light will be gone. Now, I'll send the Spirit back. But you need to understand that this is not forever. You need to understand that soon the the question is going to be called. And I'm leaving. And pretty soon in history, the light's going to completely go out. Now, this is the second component of why Jesus came to be light and darkness. Because sin blinds our eyes. And sin confuses our heart and mind. And we need to have wisdom to know the right spiritual direction. Look back at verse 37 for a minute because Jesus sees proof of this as soon as he gets done talking. As soon as he finishes, walk while you have the light. While you have the light, believe it. Uh, Believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. As soon as he finishes this sentence, many of the people still don't believe. They've seen miracle after miracle. They've heard him teach as one with authority that they've never heard before. The Pharisees now look like morons compared to this guy. This guy's speaking with the voice of God. He's speaking truth they've never heard. And he's backing it up with miracles. And they start to say, maybe this really is the Son of God. Just hours before, they had thrown their coats on the ground and laid palm branches and shouted Hosanna as he came into Jerusalem on the donkey. And they said, maybe this is it. This is finally the Messiah. Jesus says, in five days, I'm going to be raised up above the earth. And the people say, eh, eh, we don't, we don't know Jesus. We're, not, we're really just not sure about it. John 1.5 says that Jesus came to be light in the darkness, but the darkness didn't comprehend it. Why don't people get the truth? Well, primarily because they don't want to. They don't want to know the truth because truth requires spiritual change. See, sin is a choice. Sin is a choice. The motive behind the choice is completely selfish. We want what we want, and nobody is going to tell me that I can't have it and can't do it. And saved or unsaved, that's the bottom line this morning. Who influenced us and what caused us and what our background was and what people said to us, how we justify it, it all comes down to the same reason. We sin 
because we want to indulge ourselves. If you sin this week, when you sin this week, when I sin this week, and there will be many times when we sin this week, it is simply because we want to. It's not because I was raised the wrong way or you don't know the cultural influences or my work is murder and people around me are swearing. I get that. That's horrible. I wish we didn't have those environments. But the reality is if we sin, it's because we choose to indulge ourselves and rebel against God. And what's so subtly dangerous about this as believers is that thrusts us right back into the darkness that Jesus came to deliver us from. You ever felt that as a believer? You're walking with the Lord, things are going great, and all of a sudden you get tempted, and instead of saying, the Lord always gives me a way of escape, I am not going to yield to this, I want to yield to this, and everything in me is craving, just indulge yourself, I'm going to resist, and I'm going to take that way of escape, and I'm going to walk away. But, but when we don't do that, you know what I'm talking about? You feel that burden immediately, right? Why did I do that? Oh! I knew better. I knew that that was a temptation. And I just walked right into it. And I just gave right into it. Why did I do that? And and we feel that that darkness kind of start. It's like the clouds quickly roll in. Like the fog we had Wednesday night. And all of a sudden everything kind of gets fired. Why did I do that? Well, the problem is, and what should concern us, is when we sin and we don't when we sin and it becomes so routine, even as people who have been freed from bondage and freed from darkness, but we sin and we don't really get bothered by it. And we kind of become used to it and it kind of becomes almost almost liberating because we get to be rebellious and kind of edgy and we're kind of pushing the limits and we're kind of, well, all right, let me just see how far I can take this. Jesus warns right here in the text. He says, this is an indication of hardness of heart. That our heart stops perceiving that it's a problem and we actually begin to justify and defend ourselves. That's why he says, look back at verse 36. Walk while you have the light. The light shows the way. It exposes the dangers of darkness. It gives you wisdom and clarity about how to live. Now, that's the first group, okay? The first group saw everything, knew everything, heard everything, and said, we don't care. The second group is is maybe a little bit even more dangerous than that. Look back at verses 42 and 43. Because while the first group didn't believe, the second group, nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him. Good. Awesome. Because a lot of the rulers resisted him. And we certainly know the Pharisees did, which is the next sentence. But because of the Pharisees, in other words, their their friends, their compatriots, their fellow workers, because of them, they were not confessing him. In other words, they weren't public about it. Why? Because they were worried they'd be put out of the synagogue if they did that. Now, here's the line that really gets you. Why? Because they loved the approval of man rather than the approval of God. Oh, if there is one great temptation for Christians in this era, it is that we know what is right and we do believe in Jesus, but we are fearful of following through and confessing Him publicly and living set-apart lives, listen now, 
because we love the approval of man more than we love the approval of God. In other words, it matters more to me what the people I interact with every day think about me. Will they think I'm cool? Will they think I'm relevant? Will they think I'm one of them? Will they think I'm part of their world? Will they think I'm I'm my own person? That I'm not one of those religious fanatics that just does what the Bible says. I'm my own person. I can do what I want. I can think as I want. And then we start to justify that and say, well, I have freedom and liberty in in the Word, even though it says don't cause another brother to stumble through your actions. Uh, but but we start to say, well, it, it really matters to me what so-and-so thinks, or that I can hang out with them, or, or I get fellowship with them, even though it's a misuse of the word, instead of saying, the most absolute important thing to me, apart from anything else, is that I am holy and pleasing to God, which is the reasonable expectation of His children. That's Romans 12 too. This is reasonable that God would expect this. Look, I came down and I gave myself for you. And I died and rose again. And now I give you my spirit. And you're going to tell me it's more important what your friends think than what I think? Jesus said, if you don't hate your father and mother compared to your love for me, you're not worthy of my kingdom. I don't think we believe that verse very much. Many of the rulers, look at the word, the Holy Spirit never misuses a word. Many of the rulers believed in Him. But because others weren't confessing Him, they didn't want to be isolated. So they held back. What a dangerous mindset that is, and yet it seems so reasonable because we want some latitude to still be included in what the world offers. And we can come up with 97 different rationalizations for it, but the bottom line is that man's approval is important, even though Jesus says the darkness doesn't know what it's doing. The darkness doesn't have a clue. And if we don't think it's that big a deal, 1 John 1, 6 says that if we say we have fellowship with God and walk in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. But if we walk in light as he himself is the light, We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Somebody say amen. God came to be light in the darkness and to move us from darkness to light. And he says, because I've done this, because I moved you from darkness to light, now my expectation, and it's reasonable, is that you will walk in the light. That you won't go back here to the darkness and say, but I really like it. That you will just stay here and that I will stay here and that we will walk in the light. And here's what's so wonderful and the greatest fact about Jesus coming to be light and darkness. He has supplied what we need to never remain in the darkness. That's right there in the text. Look at it. He says, you don't ever have to remain. Verse 42. I can't even see it. Verse 46, I need light. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me, tell me the next five words, will not remain in darkness. This is the great truth. This is the amazing truth that God has not only defeated the power and the control of darkness, but listen now, He has defeated the ability for the darkness to influence us. He has defeated the ability 
of darkness to tempt us. It is diffused and it is conquered. Now, I wrestled with that as I'm studying that because our brain says I'm still getting tempted. And it still appeals to me. And I still like it. And there are times where I don't feel like I can withstand it. And that's one of the most pervasive, and I don't want to give him any credit, but it's one of the most effective lies of the enemy because he knows the truth. And he knows that when Christ defeats something, he defeats it completely. When Christ beats something, when Christ conquers something, when Christ defeats something, he doesn't defeat it partway, he defeats it completely. So when Jesus says, I have come that you would have life, and I have come to defeat sin forever, he is not joking. When Jesus rose again, sin was defeated forever. If you're redeemed, your sin is gone. It's gone. God looks at our lives and says, I don't remember that there was any sin ever there. I have no recollection. It's wiped clean. Where's the sin? Oh yeah, my son bled for it. My son delivered you from it. And the devil says, oh, that's not true. Don't you think the devil talks like that? That's not true. He didn't defeat. Uh, let me show you some temptation. Let me show you how strong it is. Listen, God has defeated temptation. He has defeated it. The devil doesn't want us to believe that Jesus has defeated the darkness. He doesn't want us to know that God will continue to destroy the power and influence of sin in our lives every day when we yield ourselves to His Spirit. But if we keep giving in and we keep aligning ourselves with the world, then that victory seems very hollow and insufficient. So listen, we're done. Let's listen to the promise. God cannot break this promise. God cannot rescind this promise. God cannot say, I changed my mind, Rhodes. You sinned too much. I'm done with you. Forget it. I told you I'd forgive you, but I won't. Here's the promise of God. Look at it. He says, everyone who believes in me, verse 46, will not remain in darkness. That is an assurance and it's a command. Here's the assurance. My children will not remain in darkness. When I redeem you, when I save you, when I give you a new nature, when I give you my spirit, you will not remain in darkness. Darkness has no control over you anymore. You are delivered. You walk as children of the light. But now here's the command. My children, let me change the verb, do not remain in darkness. My children, those who really love me, are not going to remain in darkness. I provide, but you're responsible. I secure, you sustain me. Colossians 1 says he's qualified us to take part in the inheritance of the saints in the light and has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of Christ. And in light of that, Colossians 2 and 3 says, as you've been raised up with Christ, walk in him, rooted and established in your faith. And because you've been raised with Christ, set your mind on things that are above, not the things of the earth. This is why Jesus came down from heaven to earth so he could raise us back to him. And I don't believe it's any coincidence that Jesus was born at night. 
and that he was announced by the glory of God shining round about the angels as they said, glory to God on earth and peace, goodwill to men. I don't think it's any coincidence that as he's born at night, wise men in the east see a star hundreds of miles away that points to him, a light shining in the darkness, a light that is piercing the darkness, a light that is coming to rescue us out of darkness and take us into light. Now he says, live in the light. How do we do that? How do we live in the light? And how do we tell other people about it? I was, I was trying to figure out, how do I end this message? And the Lord sometimes just all of a sudden will say, do it this way. Because I usually don't know how to end a message. I'm like the three stooges. I never know how to end. That's why I talk so long. But as I'm thinking and praying, going, Lord, I don't know how to, how to draw this to conclusion. God said, there are four properties of light I want you to tell them. And it was for me. There are four properties of light that impact us as we walk close to the Lord. When we're walking with the Lord, God does four things with his light. I want you to write these down. And we're going to close with this. Be a minute and a half. Number one, light exposes. Light exposes. When we walk with the Lord, He exposes our sin. Now that's not always pleasant. We don't always enjoy it. But it is required for us to be holy. We cannot be holy unless our sin is uncovered and we confess it and God forgives it. You cannot be holy with sin in your heart. That's why every day we need to take time. Lord, here's my sin. Not just, Lord, I really blew it today. Forgive me. Thanks. Gotta go. Lord, specifically, here is what I did today. I lied and I lusted and and I was lazy and and I didn't live for you and I didn't study your word and I didn't pray and I didn't share with somebody. Lord, here's what I did today. I'm going to be specific with you. I exalted other things over you. I I took your name in vain. Lord, here it is. I confess it to you. When, When we do that, God exposes our sin and then He forgives it. And as we become more holy, we can use the light of the gospel to speak truth in love to other people and tell them, listen, this is what God did for me and I want you to know about it. That's what Michelle's going to do tonight. Here's what God did because I got in a mess and God helped me and forgave me and delivered me and gave me abundant light. So light exposes, second light illuminates. Walking with Christ and listening to His Spirit gives us clarity. It gives us wisdom on how we should live and how we should serve Him. And when we get clarity in our own lives, we're better equipped to tell others about the hope of the gospel. Sometimes I think we don't walk in the light because we don't want the responsibility that comes with living in the light. Third, light gives direction. Boy, do I need this more in the coming year. We don't always perceive how the Lord's leading. We don't always perceive what the Lord wants from us. But as we seek Him and yield ourselves fully to His will, He will give us clear direction, which will give us confidence then to point people to Him and to show and say, Lord, show me when the door is open. Show me when I can say that. Brad and I were talking on the phone yesterday and he's driving and he says, I don't know whether to do this funeral. What do you think? I said, absolutely. God's giving you an open door to share with your family now about Christ and about the confidence that your mom has. Yes, take that responsibility. And it's a great responsibility because God has said, open door, share. 
We need to pray, Lord, when is the door open? How can I share? Give me the right words. Light gives direction. Last, we'll pray. Light reflects. Light reflects. Which means that those who are redeemed by Christ, those of us who are given His nature and His spirit, we should be a constant reflection, a constant image of Him in every way. And as we do that, that will give us a powerful witness. It will make us passionate ambassadors for Him. Because if people look at your life and people look at my life and they see Jesus Christ, I promise you they will say, what is going on with you? When was the last time someone said to you, I don't understand why your life is so different and why you have peace and why you have confidence and why you have hope when I am withering on the vine? Can you tell me what's going on? We need to reflect Christ. We need to show that the light is in us because he has made us children of the light. Let's close our eyes. Lord, we thank you this morning. We thank you that you have come, that you have sent Jesus this tiny, tiny, tiny little speck in the vastness of your universe that we can't even see the end of. That you created us in your own image after your likeness. You came and walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day in the garden. When man rebelled, you provided salvation. When man rejected you, you sent Christ. Lord, we can't fathom how great your love is, but we praise you for it this morning. You have brought light into darkness, and Lord, our world is very dark this morning. Maybe some of us here this morning, our hearts are very dark, and you have brought light to expose and to illuminate and to lead and to reflect, Lord, so that we will walk as children of light. Lord, challenge us this morning now. By your Spirit, challenge me. Expose what is dark. Expose what is opposed to you. And bring light into our souls. Lord, that this season, this coming year, that it would be so different that light would radiate from our lives, that, that people would see you in us every moment of every day. Lord, I crave that for my life. And I pray this would be the time now where we really say it's time to walk as children of the light. Lord, we praise you that you give us that opportunity, that you have provided the means to do that. We're so grateful to you. We're so grateful to you, Lord, for what you have done. We praise you this morning. We praise you for being gracious. We praise you for being loving. We praise you for being merciful. We praise you for delivering us from darkness, Lord. You've delivered us into the light. We praise you for that. Thank you for your mercy, Lord. Thank you for your love. 
And Lord, as we leave today and as we gather tonight with people that don't know you, people that need hope tonight, people that are destined right now for the eternity that we were destined for before you redeemed us. Lord, change their hearts tonight. Change their lives by your mercy. And may that light shine in that room tonight so that we will honor you. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you for your goodness. And we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.